Well, God bless you guys. And as, as we step into the fourth and final week of this series that we've been in called The Struggle is Real, I want to start off by saying this. I want to start off by thanking you guys. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for being a church that is willing to step up to the plate and to take a deep dive head on into a topic as heavy as this one. Thank you guys so much for being open and honest and for allowing us to have this conversation. For the past four weeks, we've been admitting that, yeah, the struggle is real. It really is. And there are many, maybe even you, that deal with very real issues such as anxiety and depression, such as worry and fear. These are very paralyzing, very debilitating realities for many of us. And as a church, we want to embrace this reality, but we also want to confront it with God's word. We want to confront it with God's word. And we've been asking the question, what encouragement does the Bible give us when regards to this anxiety and worry and, and depression and, and emotions and mental, our mental well-being? What does the Bible have to teach us about this? And, and, and what hope does the gospel bring? That's, that's the question that we've been asking. What hope does the gospel bring to me when I'm dealing with my anxiety, when I'm dealing with moments of depression and sadness and such? And week one, we said that it's okay to not be okay. That's the first thing that we mentioned, that the church should be a safe place to admit our shortcomings and a place of healing. The church should be that. The church should provide that space. It should be a, space, a safe space for that to happen. The church is a hospital for the broken. It's not a museum of saints. In week two, we mentioned that this side of heaven, we're going to experience much turmoil. And this includes battling with the very real and very hard emotional and mental struggles that so many of us face. And we mentioned that ultimately, this is not our home. Thank Jesus for that, right? That this is not our home. This isn't the last stop. That one day, we will be in the presence of Jesus. And that Jesus will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more pain. And there will be no more suffering. <coughs> Excuse me. In His presence for those who put their faith in Him. <coughs> Excuse me. Last week, Stephen did a great job reminding us. And he was calling us to be a community that could love, that could encourage, and that could support one another with very real encouragement and love and support, especially for those that are suffering with the mental and emotional struggles. That one of the greatest resources that God has given us this side of heaven is each other by God's grace. Thank you very much. One of the great resources that God has given us this side of heaven is one another. And that we're going to face difficulties and challenges this side of heaven, but that we are challenged to run towards community and not away from it. I love the fact that Stephen mentioned that there was, you know, uh, during the difficulties of his life, that the church was able to be a family and help him out during those situations. But today, as we conclude our series, we want to we wanna understand this, that we're, we're finishing up this series, we're wrapping it up. It's been a great four weeks, but do not be mistaken that the purpose of this series was not to draw a conclusion. That the purpose of this series wasn't to say that at the end of four weeks, all your anxiety, all your depression is going to be cured, and there's no more issues that you're going to have the rest of your life. So go ahead and live a happy life. That wasn't the purpose of this series. No, we, we're merely opening up the discussion. And hopefully we've laid down the groundwork. We've laid down the foundation for the type of community that we desire to become. I desire Swerve Church to be this community. We desire to become this community. And hopefully you realize that it's okay to not be okay here. You can be here and it's okay to not be okay. And that we genuinely care for you. And that we're in this together. 
In fact, this is our big idea for today's message. If you guys would open up your bulletin, take out your message notes in there. The big idea, there's a couple of fill in the blanks. The first fill in the blank is this. The big idea is that people are not projects to, to be fixed, but family to be cared for. People are not projects to be fixed, but family to be cared for. And to help us see this, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. Stephen just finished reading uh, this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. Uh, first, I want to give you guys some context. The New Testament, right? The, the Bible is split up into two different parts. You got the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament begins with the Gospels. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the same story of Jesus told from different perspectives. And then the rest of the New Testament, or a lot, a big portion of it, is a bunch of letters that were written to several churches. And today we're going to be reading from one of the letters that was written to the church in Thessalonica. It was a city. Uh, in, uh, it was a city that Paul wrote a letter to uh, in, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Thessalonica was the name of the city, and there was people that lived there. Paul loved these people uh, very much, and he wrote this letter to them. Paul and Silas were like a tag team. Uh, think of tag team preachers that went around. They would visit different cities and they would share the gospel. And, and, and they would reason with people. They would give good reasons to putting their faith in Jesus and the validity of Christ as Savior. And they head into a city called Thessalonica. And while they're there, they head into a synagogue and they preach the gospel. They preach the good news. And the Bible says that many people came to faith. You can read it in the book of Acts. And the Bible says that both Jews and Greeks came to know Jesus in Thessalonica. So typically the churches were uh, mostly one or the other. Uh, a lot of the synagogues were mostly, of course, Jewish. They were serving uh, Jehovah God. But as Paul and Silas went around preaching the gospel, it was, a, it was a, an inclusive gospel that included everybody. That It didn't matter if they were men or women, if they were Greek or Jew. Everybody were able to come together and worship Jesus. And so they head into the city, they preach, and a church is started right there in Thessalonica. So Paul, while he's there, he builds some very deep and genuine relationships with the people in the city. They become best friends. Think about it like a family. Uh, but then persecution arises, and Paul and Silas, their lives are on their line, and they have to run out. They have to head on flee, because literally their lives are on the line. And so they leave uh, behind a bunch of precious relationships. They leave a ton of friendships that were formed. And as you guys can imagine, Paul's heart was torn as he had built these amazing relationships and friendships with the people in Thessalonica, but they had to flee. And this letter that we're reading today is Paul's letter to his dear friends that he left behind. And so as we read this, I want you to hear Paul's heart. I want you to hear Paul's heart behind this letter as he writes this letter to this community of believers that he so dearly loved. And from this passage, what we're going to do today is we're going to ask ourselves three questions. This is the question that I want everybody here to ask themselves as well. We're going to ask this as a church, and I want you to ask yourself these three questions as well. If people are not projects to fix, but family to be cared for, then I believe that these three questions we raised today from today's text will help us live that out. Are you guys ready for these first of the three questions? In your notes, here's the first one. Ask yourself this question. How much do we care for each other? How much do we care for each other? And it says it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this. We care so much for you 
that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, read this next part with me, ready, go, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Would you guys underline the last part of that verse right there? But also our own lives because you had become so dear to us. And then would you guys just circle the word share right there and you know, say, you know in the context of what he's saying this. He's sharing not only the gospel of God, but also his very life. I want you guys to pay close attention to the language that Paul is using here. He says, we cared so much for you. And you had become so dear to us. Did you guys catch that in, his, in the verse? The believers at Thessalonica had become such dear friends to, and even like family to Paul. But notice what he shared with them. He says that he definitely shared the gospel with them. He shared, that's very important. The gospel means good news. So he shared the hope of the gospel with them. It's super important. It's super necessary. But beyond that, he says that he shared, that they shared their own lives with them. This is amazing because this means that it wasn't just a fly-by gospel presentation. This wasn't just Paul standing on a street corner yelling at the Thessalonians, right? This was an invitation into relationship. And I think this is super important for us to get. We should definitely share the gospel with others. In fact, you could even make the argument that if you don't share the gospel, you probably don't care very much about that other person. But beyond the idea of inviting people, of sharing the gospel, we need to invite people into relationship by doing life with them. How meaningful and how caring is that? Now, what does it actually mean? What does that mean? If you're like, Danny, okay, sharing my life, what does that mean exactly? How do we share our lives with each other? Well, in short, one thing is for certain, and that is that it involves time. It involves time. The most precious commodity that any of us have is time. And especially in a busy city like New York City, it seems like we never have enough time. Isn't that right? We never have enough time. Sometimes we wish we had more time to spend in investing in meaningful relationships. But the excuse, of course, is always I'm busy, I'm working, right? I'm, I'm commuting, I got a long commute to and from work or school, or whatever the reason is, there's a million and one excuses that we give. But I want to give you some practical ways that we can care for each other. But first, let me give you this truth. The truth is that you have time for whatever you want to have time for. And that's just the truth. If somebody told you, hey, on Friday at 3 p.m., come and see me, I got a million dollars for you. Guess where you're going to be Friday at 3 p.m.? It doesn't matter if you're working, if you're at school, if you have homework to do, it doesn't matter. If somebody said they got a million dollars for you at 3 p.m. on Friday, you're going to be there getting that money. You have time for whatever you want to have time for. Now, here are some practical ways that we can share with each other, how we can share with our lives. How can we care for one another and how we can share our lives? If you like to take extra notes like me, maybe you can flip on the back and write down these extra notes. Here's a, I'm going to breeze through these real quick because these are super simple and practical. Here's one thing you can do. You can send a text. I love that we live in such a technologically advanced time. Guys, we live in an amazing time in the history as humankind. And we have all this technology to our disposal. A lot of it can distract us, but a lot of it is also can, can help us communicate and stay connected. And how meaningful is it to receive a text from somebody that says, hey, I'm thinking about you today. I just said a prayer for you. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you this week that you would have a great week. How encouraging is that to be able to receive that from somebody? And it only takes a second to do. How about this? Grab a cup of coffee with somebody. How meaningful is it to sit across a table with somebody, just have a $2 cup of coffee, 
and just to have a conversation with them and to catch up. It takes time, but it's meaningful to be able to spend time with them. And how can I pray for you? What's bugging you in your life? But this is a way that we can care for one another and we can really share our lives. How about this? How about sharing a meal? How about we use the dinner table to open up our, our, our living room and a dinner table to be able to have a meal uh, with somebody, to cook some good food, invite some people over and, and share a meal? This is a meaningful way that you can do that. And the fourth one, it's a blank. I, I left it blank because I, I bet you as I'm talking, I bet you there's some ideas that are going through your head about how you can share your life with somebody. What, what would that be like? Maybe it's a phone call. Uh, or something. What, what, what is it? Maybe he's going bowling with a, with a group of friends. To be able to spend time with one another. We can share our lives. And guys, a little can go a long way. And I think this can be especially true for someone who's going through a mental battle or emotional battle. Someone who's struggling with anxiety and depression. A little bit can go a long way. A text message, a prayer, grabbing a cup of coffee. And if we're truly going to be a family, we must care for one another. And how do you do that? Paul says he shared his own life. He shared his life with the Thessalonians. Here's the second question I want us to ask. If we're not, if people are in projects to fix, but family to be cared for, then here's the second question we want to ask. Number two, do we preach the gospel to each other? Do we preach the gospel to each other? Look at what it says in verse 9. He says this, For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters. I love the language he's using. There. This is family. Working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Look at the last part. Read it out loud with me. Ready? Go. We preach God's gospel to you. Would you guys underline that part in your verse? That we preach God's gospel to you. You know, guys, sometimes we forget how the gospel is good news to us. In the middle of our hardships, in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our difficulty, as you can imagine, if you're anxious about a situation, if you're battling with an emotional uh, issue, a depression, or if you're fearful about your next season of life or where, you know, what's going to happen next, those things can blind you, right? Those situations are so difficult that it can really blind you. And in the thick of it, we can forget how the gospel is good news in the middle of that struggle. And I think it's important for us to preach the gospel to one another. It's important that we remember the power of the gospel in our lives. Not simply the gospel truth that Jesus died to pay our debt of our sin and how he conquered the grave to give us new life. That's true. But what are the implications of that being true? That's what we forget. We remember, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross. He went to a grave and he rose from the grave. I remember that, but how does that help me when I'm going through depression? How does that help me when I'm going through anxiety? The implications of the gospel, that's what we forget. What does the fact that Jesus robbed the grave do for me in my current situation? And when you're in it, guys, and you know this, when you're in it, you can get tunnel vision. You don't see anything else but the struggle that you're in. It's so difficult. You're in it, and what you're currently experiencing is all you see. But this is why we need each other. We need someone on the outside of our circumstance to look in, someone who has clarity, someone who can see clearly and remind us the gospel truth. We need someone to remind us in our brokenness that, you know what, in your brokenness, Jesus too was beaten and broken, and he was battered just like you. And Jesus relates to us, but he came out victorious, and he, and he makes us whole. We need someone to remind us in our anxiety that Jesus too was anxious, to the point of sweating blood moments before his execution. 
But because he was victorious, we can cast all our cares and all our anxieties on Jesus before him. We need somebody to remind us that. We need someone to remind us in our fears that Jesus is greater than our fear. That God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. But guys, but when you're in it, you don't remember. All you see is the difficulty that's before you. And that's why we need to preach the gospel to each other. You see, we all need these reminders. We all need to preach the gospel to one another. We all forget. When you're in it, you know this, guys. It's easy to do that. It's easy to forget. But this is why God gives us a family to remind us. Paul preached the gospel to his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. Do we preach the gospel to each other? That's the question we want to ask. And here's the third and final question we want to ask today. Number three in your notes. How do we provide encouragement and comfort? How do we provide encouragement and comfort? Let's read 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. It says this. As you know, look, listen to the language. Like a father with his own children, we encourage, we comfort it, and we implored each one of you to live worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see, guys, if people are not projects to fix but family to care for, then here's the final question we got to ask. How do we provide encouragement and comfort? Did you guys catch that in the verse? It says that we encourage, we comforted, we implored you. He provided encouragement. And I, and I really love, once again, what Stephen mentioned last week, of all the ways that him and his family felt encouraged and comforted because of this church community right here. This is what we want everyone to feel when they join this church family. This is what we want to provide for anyone who visits. You know, all week we're surrounded with negativity. All week we're surrounded with bad news all around us. Maybe you have a nagging coworker. Maybe you have that grumpy boss that's always down your back. At school, there's always a deadline to meet. There's always a, a project that's due. There's always that peer pressure of negative influences, right? What you need during that time is not more bad news. What you need is some encouragement and some comfort. And this is especially true for those of us that may be battling with anxiety and with depression, with worry and fear. What we need in those difficult times is encouragement and comfort. And I hope that this is what this series has provided. I hope that the struggle is real. These four weeks, I hope that it's provided some encouragement for you. I hope that it's realized that as, as, as truth, that it's been encouraging and comfort. That's what we've been trying to communicate through this series, that there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and hope and encouragement can be found here in Christ. With that being said, what are some practical ways? What are some practical ways that we can do this for each other, especially during times of anxiety or depression? What does encouragement and comfort look like? What does that look like? Danny, tell me what does it look like to provide encouragement and comfort? What are the practical things that we can do to provide comfort and encouragement for someone? Well, it looks different for different people, right? Of course, not everybody feels encouraged or comforted by the same thing. But I want to give us some suggestions and maybe this will jog your creative juices and you can figure out some things on your own. But one of the things I personally do, one of the first things I do is I ask the person, someone who needs encouragement, someone who needs comfort, I would ask them, what could I do that would be encouraging or comforting to you right now? And the first thing I do is ask them that question. And maybe that's the way you want to start the dialogue or the conversation. Ask them, what can I do? What can I do to provide encouragement or comfort? And allow that person's response to determine how you can best serve them. 
Now here's some practical things. Once again, if you want to take extra notes, you can on the back of your notes there. Well, these are some ways that we can be encouragement and comfort by uh, with our ears. With your ears. The, uh, some, somebody said that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? So we can listen twice as much as we speak. Take time to listen. Be a sounding board for the other person. Right? Oftentimes the temptation is to be the problem solver, the go-getter, to give our experiences. Oh, man, you're going through a difficult time. Let me tell you what happened, man. I was in World War II, and I had this, uh, and they amputated my leg, and I did this and that, whatever. So what you're going through is not a big deal. And that's not very comforting for someone who's going through hardship. Right? And sometimes we want to give the answer out of, and we want to do so as well, out of, good, out of a good heart. But sometimes all we need to do is take our time to listen. Sometimes all the other person needs is a sounding board. And if you've ever been in that situation, you know. Sometimes what you needed was to vent to somebody. Was to let it out. And, but all you, you just kept finding a bunch of Bob the Builders and, and Fix-It Felixes that wanted to solve your problems. That's not what you needed at that moment. Right? Sometimes we can provide encouragement and comfort with our ears. Here's another way with our words. You can provide encouragement and comfort with our words. There are appropriate times to be able to speak and encourage someone with our words. And this could be reminding someone, uh, like we said before, that they're loved and that they're cherished. Remind them, no, you're loved, you're cherished, you're not hated. It's not the end of the world. No, you are loved, you are special. It could be sharing your experience. It could be, man, I did go through that one time. Oh, let me tell you, man, I went through this season and it was the most depressed season I ever went through. Can I share that with you about how I was able to seek comfort and counsel through that? It could be sharing your experiences. It could be relating with them in the struggle. It could be sharing a Bible verse. Sometimes God will pop a Bible verse into your mind and that can provide an encouragement um, to them. It could be saying a prayer over them or with them. Man, one of the most comforting things I've ever had experienced when I'm going through a hard time is someone physically put their arm around me and say, can I pray with you? That's such an encouragement to me. That's one of the things that we can do with our words. Here's another way, with our presence. With our presence. Sometimes all we need is to have someone with us in the struggle. Just to know that someone's there. It can be helpful to have someone physically present during the hardship. Maybe it's to sit across the table at a coffee shop. Or maybe it's to give a hug just so that they can know that you're in the struggle with them. You can help with your ears, with our words, with our presence. And these are just a couple of ways that we can provide encouragement. And maybe, you know what I would love to hear after service? What are some other ways that we can do that? And I would love, while you guys finish up the bagels back there and finish drinking coffee, to have that conversation and talk about, you know what really helped me? It really helped me when somebody did this, you know, when somebody helped me with that. You know, I would love to hear that conversation happening after service. But what would happen? What would happen if, if we too, like a father, encouraged and comforted one another? What would happen? Can you imagine the kind of community that we'd form? Can you imagine the kind of church we'd be? Can you imagine the healing that might take place? People are not projects to fix, but family to care for. And here's the challenge for us, Swerve. Let's be a place. Let's be a church. Let's be a community that genuinely cares for one another. We should do so out of extreme gratitude of a God who cares deeply for us and he saw us in our struggle, and he didn't leave us there. Instead, creator enters creation in the person and work of Jesus. And Jesus faces agony just like we do. Jesus faced pain just like we do. He faced anxiety just like we do. 
It's the same way we face all these problems. Jesus faced them as well. And Jesus humbly walks in our shoes, but he triumphantly conquers death to pay the punishment of our sin. And now whoever puts their faith in him can experience the forgiveness of sin and the promise of an eternity away from the pain and the agony that we currently see and experience. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, then I want to encourage you to do that today. And that's a decision between you and God. And I'm not going to coerce you, force you, or make you. But if you feel like, man, I haven't made that decision. There's this big hole, this big void in my life. It's because it's a God-sized hole that only can be filled by Jesus. And allow Jesus to walk into your life. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Guys, I pray that you've been encouraged by this message. And I pray that you've been challenged as well. Swerve, there's a challenge before us, and that is to live out all the things that we've been discussing so that we can be a family that cares for people that experience very deep hurt. Do you guys pray for me? And pray with me. Lord, I, I truly pray that we might be a church and family where people can feel comforted and encouraged. Help us to not see people as projects, but instead as family to care for. In the midst of depression, in the midst of anxiety or great hardship, empower us to preach the gospel to one another. Help us communicate the great hope that the gospel brings. Help us provide the encouragement and comfort that we need, be it through a hug, be it through words, be it through a prayer, or just time spent with one another. Lord, I pray that we might be a place of healing for many. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.